0: About 35 years ago, I read a story about Canute the Great, who ruled England during the 11th century, so about a thousand years ago. And throughout his reign, those in his courts were quick to praise and flatter him. And in their flattery, they even went as far as to say that his power was unstoppable and that all things would be obedient to his command. Now, Canute, knowing that they had gone too far is said to have taken the following method to correct them. He ordered that his throne be placed on the seashore as the tide was coming in. He then sat down and commanded the waves to stop coming in and actually for the tide to go out. He was heard to say this, you are under my dominion, the land upon which I sit is mine. I charge you, therefore, to approach no further, nor dare to wet the feet of your sovereign. And he feigned to sit some time in expectation. I mean, you can just imagine how uncomfortable all the nobles were as they were standing around him. Now, eventually, the, the waves completely surrounded the chair, at which point, Canute turned and said this. I want you to hear this. He said, the titles of Lord and Master belong only to him whom both earth and seas were ready to obey. So as we come to worship this morning, as we contemplate this song of worship, this psalm, Psalm 136, we turn our attention to the object of of our worship. As we read this Psalm together in just a moment, we will get a glimpse of David as he rested in the one who held his past, his present, and his future. And as we read this Psalm together, we too will come face to face with the grace, mercy, and love of God. We will be confronted with the God of our past, present, and future. The question is, as we start out, how will we respond to it? So if you'll stand with me, we'll read Psalm 136 together. Uh, on each of, uh, in each of the refrains, there will be a part that's in bold. If you will read that, I'll read the, the other portion of it, okay? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that should I say something I should not this morning, Lord, that you will shut the ears of those present. But in all things, Father, in all things that I say, Father, may I point to you. Father, in this time, May I decrease and you increase. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, as I walked through this, this passage and I read it again and again, my mind turned to a time in my life where a great tragedy struck. My father was diagnosed with cancer and would die 10 years later, five years later, sorry. My brother was diagnosed with an incurable kidney disease. Both his kidneys would fail and he would need a kidney transplant. I lost my job. All of this was one thing right after another. But these were nothing, absolutely nothing compared to that day when my wife and I were told that our son would not live. He would not live through the pregnancy. In fact, he would die a very painful and horrible death. The advice they gave us was to abort him and move on. I remember driving to work that day after that visit. Why I even tried, I don't know. But it was a miracle. I made it there. The tears, I couldn't see the road in front of me. I was crying, weeping so hard. The pain was crushing. This was my son, my beloved son. I remember at one point taking a walk and praying and saying to God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. And I know you will take care of my family. I spent many nights talking with dear friends from the church. And through it all, I learned a very difficult lesson. That as hard as it is, as painful as it might get, as devastating as it might be, in the dark night of the soul, that if the gospel is true, then I must learn to trust him That I must learn to rest in the one who holds my past, present, and future. You see, if all good news begins with Christ, and apart from Christ there is no good news, then I must be able to find the gospel even in the darkest of places, even in tragedy. And I did. As Paul said to Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him to that day, no matter what. See, I could easily write this psalm, putting my story into it, and so could you we could see, we would see the same points, that he is the God of our past, he is the God of our present, and he is the God of our future. And we would also see the same refrain, wouldn't we? That the Lord's steadfast love endures forever. And just like the Israelites, I can look back with confidence and say that refrain over and over and over again. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Can you? In all of the trials, in all of the heartache, in all of the situations, I see the goodness of God and his love working it out for my good. This is what the Psalm is doing. It's recentering our thinking. It's recentering our focus. The more we look at this Psalm, the more we realize that it's centered on God and not on Israel. Despite the history lesson that's given throughout this psalm it's about God and his endless love and that is where we find the main point of this passage and that is the object of our affection the object of our worship. Look with me if you have your Bible still open. Look with me at the passage, the first 3 verses. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. David tells us that the object of our worship, the object of our thanksgiving, the object of our praise is no one but Jehovah, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Notice the repetition. I mean, three times he says it here. He tells us to give thanks to the Lord and in doing so he puts emphasis, emphasis on who we are to worship and that we are to worship him and him only. Throughout the rest of the psalm, David labors the point to show us why we should worship him by pointing to who he is and what he has done for us. Look with me at the passage as it's played out. Verses 4 through 9, he created all things, sustains all things by his mighty hand. Verses 10 through 16, he led Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. Verses 17 through 22, he planted Israel in the land of promise. Verse 23, he remembers and demonstrates in all things his faithfulness. Verse 24, he rescues us from our bondage. Verse 25, he provides for our needs. Verse 26, he provides for our future he is the god of our past present and future and in the midst of this realization david calls us even us thousands of years later to worship god in him alone This is not the only place in scripture, beloved, where we are called in this manner. We see in Exodus 20, where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And again, in Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the principles we see here in the who of worship are these. First, we are to have, uh, that we are not to have any other gods in his presence. You see, if we're not to have any other gods in his presence, where can we have another god? Where can we hold on to anything else so tightly that it is not in his presence? Let me ask you this question this morning. Is there something that you hold on, uh, that you hold in such high esteem that you are unwilling to let it go? That every time you come into the Lord's presence, it is there with you? we are to have no other gods before him. Secondly, we are to serve God and God alone. This is at the very heart of that first catechetical question, right? That we teach our children. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do we seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness? Let me ask you this question. Is there something that holds your attention more than the kingdom of God and its righteousness? And finally, that we are to honor and glorify his name in everything that we do. See, it is not about your rights or mine. It is about his honor and glory. And so we worship the God of creation this morning. We worship the God of our past. We give thanks to the one who has proven his power and sovereignty over all things, who has held us graciously in his hand. We not only give thanks, but we remember what he has done. After all, that's what giving thanks involves, right? Remembering. Remembering is integral to thanksgiving. Remembering was the primary call of Moses to the people of Israel as he gave his farewell address in Deuteronomy, Uh, isn't it? He said it over and over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we so easily forget We need to remember that God is infinitely worthy of worship and glory. We must not lose sight of it or forget it. There is none like him. Everything was made by him and we should praise and thank him for his graciousness towards us in providing all things. Nothing came about by accident but is full of perfect order, design, and purpose. We see all of this in the passage here in Psalm 136. It says this, if you look there, to him alone who does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. Indeed, all creation should cause us to pause and give him praise and worship and glory. He is the God of creation. He is the God of our past. He is a great and mighty God who alone deserves to be worshiped. Not only is he the God of creation, the God of our past, he's also the God of salvation. He is the God of our present. We see this from the passage that God is a a rescuer who sees us in our distress. David talks about this, giving the example of the people imprisoned by Pharaoh, set free through Moses. He details this not just to give a history lesson, but to remind them that their identity and reason for hope can be found in him and him alone. You see in Ephesians 2, it tells us that we are dead, in sin, uh, that we are dead in sin, freed, and made alive in Christ. Exodus 20 reminds us that our identity is in Him and that we are His people and He is our God. Ephesians 5 tells us that we are now children of light. Over and over and over again, Scripture reminds us of our identity in Him. When I was 10 months old, my father died my biological father. When I was 2 years old, I was adopted again. I got a new birth certificate with a new name on it, and on it was the name of my new father. All of a sudden, I had an identity rooted in my father. So why is this important? To not just to see this not just as a history lesson, but as our identity because it changes how we live, doesn't it? How does seeing your identity in him change how we live? Galatians 5 reminds us this in 5.1, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The parable of the sower states rather clearly that all good soil produces fruit. Exodus 20 reminds us that our identity is in Him and that we are His people, He is our God, and that our actions should follow that identity. In each of those, we are told that our identity drives how we live. Indeed, the mighty God of salvation is at work in you so you can pursue obedience. He has indeed remembered us in our low estate. He still sees us now. He still rescues us. He provides all things needed, and this is worthy of praising him for. So he is the God of our salvation. He is the redeemer and rescuer who alone deserves to be worshipped. Finally, he is the God of heaven, our hope and future, Philippians 1 reminds us that the the God who has carried us thus far will carry us to the end, and so we have hope for the future. Hebrews 12, which we read a little bit earlier, talks to this promise and hope for the future. I don't know if you all caught it, but the author of Hebrews says this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. So, what are the things that cannot be shaken? 25 years ago, I remember listening to this sermon by, uh, uh, by Dr. Charles Stanley. I remember it as if it were yesterday. And he was preaching on this passage, and there were four things that he pointed out that just really stuck out at me as I listened. Four things that cannot be shaken in this passage. They are one, the Lord. God cannot be shaken. He is the one doing the shaking. Two, God's word. It endures forever. It is trustworthy. Three, our relationship to him. Jesus encouraged us and reminded us that when the father takes hold of us, nothing can shake us loose from that grip for no one is greater than the father and our future home with him. He is the God of heaven, our hope future. Praise his name. Praise his name. And so we worship and praise God with all of who we are. That's what we need to remember. That is what we drill into our heads and our hearts with the repetition. This is how we interpret our story. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And from that repetition, we seek to love him more than we love anything else. We seek to know him more than we know anything else. We seek to treasure him more than we treasure anything else. And we seek after him more than we seek after anything else. For he alone is worthy of praise and worship. We do not consider it tiring, brothers and sisters. We do not consider it to be a chore to come to worship. We don't consider it to be boring because our eyes are on him, but rather we find our joy, our strength, our renewal, and our hope in him, and him alone. Amen. Before we close, I want to point out a couple of other things implied in this passage that I think are helpful to us in the act of worship. And those two things are this, who we should worship with and how should we worship. First, who we should worship with. When I was a little child, some of my earliest memories were sitting in the pew with my parents. And I remember my father, every time there was uh, a reading, of Scripture, every time there was a recitation, some kind of liturgy, or even a hymn that was sung. And you have to understand, my father couldn't hold a tune, but, but he would kneel down next to me as I stood there. And he would point to every single word that was read and everything that we said and everything that we sang. He had me sit with either mom or him to learn to sit and pay attention. And all of this was to teach me that one, I had a place in the service, even as a little one, just like he did. Second, that I had a role, just like he did. That my attention was to belong to God that God was the most important. And finally, that he cared enough, that my dad cared enough to take an active role in making sure that I saw it. As I grew up, this manifested itself in 515 AM, devotions five days a week which I can tell you I didn't necessarily enjoy. Anyone who knows me knows that I am not a morning person by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember them. I remember the discipline, the order, the purpose, and the prayer. We all participated every morning. So what does this have to do with the psalm? The psalm is meant as a recitation as we did this morning, uh, meaning it was meant to be read in community. Who are we to worship with all for the glory of God? Each other. Yes, the fellowship of believers is important. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 10. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I remember when Victoria, my youngest daughter, was an infant. I sang in the church choir, you know the kind where you have the church robes. And um, the church choir sat up in the balcony in the back of the church. And every Sunday, Victoria was with me, every Sunday. While I sang, I held her. While I sat, I held her. She slept on me the whole time. It was a humorous sight, I thought, but I remember the pastor one day commenting on the sight of it and the beauty of it. What does this have to do with the psalm? Our worship was not just meant to be together, but to include everyone. You see, this recitation was easy and therefore designed for even young ones to participate in and learn. Just like hymns and songs are meant to be easy, repetitive, and telling a story, so this psalm reminds us that our worship is not just meant for adults, but for the little children as well. Second, how should we worship? Within this psalm, we see a call and we see a response. As a participatory psalm, it was something everyone could remember. You see, relationship with God is not something we watch or spectate in. As Hebrews 12 reminds us, we run the race. And as Ephesians 6 tells us, we put on the armor of God and we fight. Not only that, the psalm is simple, young and old could understand, and yet it is truly profound. His love is proved. In the past, it carries us now, and it will hold us in the future. Finally, it's repetitive. The truths we, we, we most want to know and we most need to know need to be repeated. Repetition and multiple interactions are the key to learning. So what is it that this psalm is saying? What is being repeated that we need to hear every day? It's the covenant fidelity of God. You see, his faithful love is our heritage and legacy. He was our God in the past. He was, it will be our God in the future, and he will not abandon us now in the present. Psalm 94, 14. His kingdom is forever. And we worship him, praising his name with passion this morning. To illustrate this, let me close by reading part of the song Moses wrote in Exodus 15. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 3 and then 11 through 13. Listen to what he says here about God's covenant fidelity. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed him. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Come, beloved. Let us come and worship Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I do need you, Lord. I need you now. I know that I can do without many of the things that I once thought were necessities, but without you I cannot live and I dare not die. I needed you when sorrow came and you did not fail me. I needed you when sickness struck my family and I cried to you for mercy. I needed you when I knew not which way to turn or go. You did not fail me then either. And though the sun shines around me today, I know I need you there as well and will need you no less tomorrow. I give you my gratitude for that need and that sense of need that reminds me and drives me to your side. Help me, Father, to keep my hand in yours and my ears open to your voice. Give me courage for hard times and strength for difficult places. I ask of you no easy way, but just for your grace, which is sufficient for every need, so that no matter how hard the way, how challenging the hour, how dark the sky, I may be able, enabled to overcome. And so, Father, I praise you and thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And I rest in you. Christ's name.